Hey guys, welcome. Um, man, glad you're here uh, to our for our core team meeting. I have a couple announcements before we get started. Actually, several announcements. First of all, um, you guys realize it's about 40 days until our soft launch, and so um, here is a, a an invitation slash challenge that we'd like just to lay out to you. Um, there are some some folks have made a commitment to fast from something in, over the next 40 days to prayerfully prepare, uh, to pray in preparation for our soft launch. And, um, and I, I just want to encourage, invite, maybe even challenge all of us to choose something um, that, and, you know, don't, like if you never drink coffee, then say, oh, I'm going to fast from coffee. Since I never drink that anyway, you know, I'm not sure that is is gets at the heart of of what we're inviting and challenging you to do. So, you know, something that is significant to you, so that the so that the absence of that will be on your mind, and therefore you will think to pray for some specific needs for people in our core team, specific needs for redeemers. Soft launch, you know, like a meeting place and things like that. So um, I just want to, we're just going to give out that invitation. I, I'm also going to send an email about that later today. But then along beside that, another invitation slash commitment or challenge I'd like to lay out before you is also um, to, to make a commitment to pray with one other person connected with Redeemer, either part of the core team or part of our launch team, to pray with every day one other person um, who's part of Redeemer specifically for the needs um, associated with our soft launch. So two kind of prayer challenges, if you will, for you guys um, this, uh, this next 40 days. Also, um, today, and I sent an email out about this, and I hope everybody got it, but today uh, there is a training for those of you who might be interested in uh, mentoring, discipling uh, a college student who's associated with BASIC, the ministry whose building we get to meet in right now. Um, and there's a, there's some training for that today at Pennsylvania Avenue Baptist Church. Somebody's climbing that ladder. I think that's funny. Um, uh, there's, a, there's training at Pennsylvania Avenue Baptist Church at 1.30 this afternoon in their fellowship hall. And uh, so if you're interested in being involved in the mentoring discipling program as a discipler or a mentor, I'd encourage you to come to the training at 1.30 Pennsylvania Avenue Baptist Church. Okay, any, any questions about those three announcements? Is there anything I forgot? Do what? Oh, yeah, September 27th. Um, September 27th, um, which is not one of our scheduled preview services is going to become sort of a, a pseudo preview service because, as you know, this ministry basic, um, they, they're sort of doing a, I don't know what to call it, church crawl. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're attending each of the Southern Baptist churches on a particular Sunday, and the new students who are not already connected to a church are getting exposed to the different Southern Baptist churches in town, and so um, the only really spot left open um, is September 27th, which is not one of our regular preview services, but we're going to kind of, we're still going to have our regular preview service next Sunday, the 20th, but we're going to have another one on the 27th. There's kind of a pseudo, we're still going to, uh, it's scheduled to be on evangelism, 
Uh, so we're still going to go ahead and cover our core team material. We're just going to sort of organize the meeting more like a, a worship service. We probably won't have uh, communion that Sunday. We will on the 20th, but not on the 27th. But the rest of that meeting will be scheduled like a... Um, or organized like a preview service. And then following that, there will be a cookout um, at my house. And so everybody and the students are invited to a cookout at my house. Okay, thanks for reminding me of that, Phil. Great. Hey, let's just bow together, pray, okay? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this day that you've made. God, thank you for this opportunity for us to gather together. God, I pray that you would... Um, teach us and train us and empower and enable us as a core team to lead and launch this church plant uh, called Redeemer that you have called us to be a part of. And Father, um, I pray that our hearts and minds be attentive to your word and that our, our hearts and minds would be focused on you and hearing from and meeting with you this morning for your glory and for your honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to stand and sing.
song that might be new to uh, some of you. It's called Speak, O Lord. It just talks about being willing and being receptive to God's holy word. And so uh, we're going to talk today about the family and what it means to, uh, to be a family, to represent Christ in our families. And uh, our goal is to let the word of God speak to us. And so uh, I hope that this is your prayer this morning. Just sing these words. Um, you can just kind of listen if you don't know it and uh, join in later. It's pretty easy though.
for your word. Father, we thank you that you have not left us without direction, without instruction. We thank you for the eternal word, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can know him through the pages of scripture. So Father, if you'd like to honor our eyes now through your Holy Spirit, be honored during this time, help us to understand correctly and to apply these truths to our lives. Pray that you would stir our affections for you as well. We would love you more. We would love the church more. We love one another more because of this time. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, so, can I get somebody to volunteer to read 
uh, Genesis 27, 25-29. How about Proverbs 31, 10-31? Some of these are kind of lengthy, so we may break them up. And how about Colossians? Nice. Do you have memorized? Is that all you said? Uh, Ephesians might be better to break it up. That's a pretty long passage. Let me see how it actually flows. Let's do... Will somebody do 22 through... Uh, maybe 22 through 20... Five? No, 22 through 24, I guess, and then somebody 25 through 33. Somebody do 23 through 24. Okay. And I can do 25 through through 33. And then uh, will somebody read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7? Are you going through 6, 4? Do I know? Oh, yeah, through 6, 4. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So, actually, if you'll read through 31. And then I'll, and I can read the second half of that. And then if somebody would be willing to read 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Hello. Okay. And then 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. We're narrowing down people that are left. Okay. Um, let's start in Genesis 27, 25 to 30. And he said, Bring it here to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So if you brought it here to him, he ate it. And he brought him wine and drink. And his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled, smelled his garments, and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is the smell of, is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. And I feel like you
Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the the husband is, is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church is to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But he pays and cares for it, as Christ does the church. For we are members of his, of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and the mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? He must be not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word. They may be won without a worry by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on the full jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the quiet person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who moved in the Lord used to adore themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are your children, if you do good, do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman that believes your vessels, so their ears with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Very nice. Now, all of these things, all of these passages display things about men and about women, and the way they function in families, and then ultimately, the way I would say that we need to function in the church. So what I'm going to do is split everybody. We're going to split off into groups. And I want you guys to try and find... I have some pins. If somebody can have with other pins. Uh, I want you to like make a list of the things that you see displayed about women. 
and on the other side of the paper, make a list of the things you see displayed about men. The patterns. Okay. So we'll take... Each group is doing that about all Each? Well, just what you've heard. Just think about some of the general patterns. Yeah, we're not going to get into all the, the little particulars, but I just want to see what you guys come up with as far as general patterns. It's 10.53. Let's take about... Well, we'll take about 10 or 15 minutes. I'll kind of see where we're at in about 5 or 10 minutes to see if everybody's just setting in the wall. Does anybody need a pen? Would it be easier to split up and do sections? Like each, each group do like a couple of sets of verses, you think? We could do, uh, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six. How many have we got? One, two, three, four. Let's do, uh, let's do, why don't you guys do Timothy and Peter? And you guys do uh, Ephesians. Um, you guys in the back do Colossians, and you guys do Genesis and Proverbs. I kind of grouped it together by... Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm sorry. Why don't you do Colossians and... I don't know, you can do Colossians, Colossians and Genesis. That's fine, and you guys just do Proverbs 31. Yeah, okay. So that's kind of skewed, though, because then you guys are going to have like all this stuff about women and nothing about. Well, you might. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to give you any answers. You might find some stuff in there about women. <laughs> what did you say, Lee Malone? Let them find what they find. Yeah, that's pretty much the point there. But. No. Yes. You want a pen? You need a pen? So you're trying to answer the questions, what does it say about women? What does it say about men? Think outside the box, but not outside.
<laughs> wow, wow. If there's anything upstairs, they are not coming down now. <laughs> you want? Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, we just kind of talked about how um, this passage, even though it is about
does have a right and wrong way to it as well. And that being harsh with them <coughs> is not loving. There's, um, we want to do that in a way that edifies, builds. As we, as we study in, um, in our men's accountability time, we want to have a, a sanctifying love, a selfless love. And what was the other one? There were three S's. Do you remember guys? Sacrificial. Sacrificial love. There you go. So, okay, loving nice. in that way. So, Hannah, what, what were fathers supposed to do? Fathers do not embitter their children when they will become discouraged. Mm-hmm. So, fathers are supposed to train up their children in a way that it's not going to provoke them to become discouraged, to become disheartened, to become angry, but uh, lead them well so that they might actually do the opposite and think they're lying to you the things of the Lord. Being encouraged, of being of them become angry, becoming happy, content, you know. You know. Okay. Very nice. How about the all male couch? Well, we have quite a bit here. Big chunk. First, are the men. Uh, men, uh, we, we found in this uh, text of the head of the family. They're lead the family. They're to love their wives, Christ loved the church, and so in so loving their wives demonstrate the relationship between Christ and the church. The purpose of why we love our wives in this way is to demonstrate that relationship. We're supposed to have a sanctifying, redeeming, and cleansing influence on the spiritual life of the wife. We are to be a sanctifying influence on her. Let's check this step. Um, we are to become one with, our wife, with the wife, forsaking all others. Um, we're to make marriage a demonstration of all of the profound mystery of Christ in the church. And lead family, uh, lead the family in raising children in the Lord. Uh, for wives, they're to be submit, they're to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Um, in so doing, so demonstrate the relationship between the church and Christ by submission to their husbands. Um, they become one with their husband, forsaking all others. They're to respect their husbands as husbands are to love their wives. And their and wives are also to make the marriage a demonstration of profound mystery of Christ in the church. First Timothy and First Peter, and both of them together. Um, well, First Timothy passage is just mainly addressing qualifications for the elder. But within those, there's of course certain ones that have to deal with the family, and they all kind of deal with the family. But um, so within those, you have this idea of a husband managing his home well, because how could he manage a church well if he can't even manage his own home? Within that, there's this uh, keeping his children submissive. Um, so submission isn't just for children to understand; it's for the parents and it's for the father because uh, he's the one training them how to do that. Um, the husband is to be dignified and to honor his wife, according to First Peter. And then uh, women, uh, for submission, is in there to respect the husband. And then there's this whole big section in the First Peter three passage about essentially modesty, and a woman, um, you know, Peter makes this, this uh, kind of explains this idea of a woman <clears throat> to emphasize internal beauty rather than external beauty. And so um, there's a section on, on that, and then a, a woman to do good and to not fear. Um, he uses Abraham and Sarah kind of as an example, which I'm not really sure what that means, but I think it could mean worrying, you know, not to have a sense of fear all the time, which I think women are prone to do, and so 
not to worry, but to have a, to hope in God, like Sarah did with Abraham. It is a difficult verse. Yeah. Um, very nice. Well, I think um, basically what if you I did this so that we could see all of these things. I'm not going to talk about how the church is going to display every single one of these aspects, although I wanted them all to come out. Um, essentially, I don't want to use the term boil down, but you can sort of funnel down functions uh, within the marital relationship that are different for a man and a woman. Real quickly, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. This is a, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this passage. It's a passage that a lot of people use um, to talk about how Women should be able to do the same thing as men in the church. Uh, women should be preachers and teachers and whatever else, even though there's other passages that clearly say they shouldn't be. But anyways, early in, you know, significant, like elders and pastors. If you'll look at 3, let's start in verse 27. So it says, uh, for as many as you, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For all were, for you all, for you are all one in Christ. Sorry. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also were children. And it goes on to talk about how they're enslaved and how they're under uh, under the taskmaster of the law. And a lot of people have said that up there in verse 28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, that all of us are one in Christ that we are the same. Now, I think from these passages, we can obviously see that there's different things happening. So what does that mean for us to be different? And yet, we're the same in this passage. I mean, how do those two things fit together? Well, I want to talk for a second about this passage, and then we'll use that to sort of frame all of the things we've been saying from these other passages. One thing I want to say is, uh, if you look at the context here, Paul is not talking specifically about the differences in nature. Or he is talking about the differences in nature. He's not talking about the differences in the things that they're doing. Um, He is saying that in order to become, in order to be heirs of Abraham's promise, see in verse 28, you are Christ, then Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, according to the promise... And according to Abraham's offspring, according to Jewish customs and understandings, who would have been an heir? Who would be an heir in my family? Asa. Yeah. The, the son, the eldest son. And so, in order to become an heir with Christ, 
and in order to become an heir as part of Abraham's offspring, what Galatians is saying is that it's drawing in Greeks with Jews, it's drawing in slaves with free, it's drawing in women with men. Because for somebody at that time period, they would not have understood that slaves could be sort of above their masters spiritually. So what he's saying here is it doesn't matter that you're a slave, that someone else sees you as lesser, you are one in Christ. That's the distinction there. And then with Jews and Greeks, it doesn't matter that you are a Greek. You are, you can become part of the promise. You can become an heir with the promise. So you can be the same as the Jews. And then the same is to be said about men and women. Not that men are better than women, but men are the heirs. So without this distinction, there, there's a distinct possibility that in that time period, that the Jews and the other people in, that, in those cultures would have said um, that the women could not be heirs. If you talk about the heir of Abraham's seed, if you talk about being heirs and becoming part of Christ as being an heir, it means being a son. So what Paul is saying here is, women are the same as men in terms of their oneness in Christ. So in nature, the same way that the father and the son are the same in nature. That the father is distinct from the son in their roles in salvation, and the Holy Spirit as well. But at the same time, the father and the son are the same in nature. So what Paul is saying is, there are no distinctions in terms of salvation. There are no distinctions in nature. There's no distinction between a man and a woman. What it's not saying is it's not saying that there's no difference, that there's no role distinctions. The Bible, from all these passages we just looked at, clearly makes role distinctions. There are obviously things that men are doing as the pattern that we see in Scripture. Prescriptively, I mean, a lot of the passages we read were talking about things that we should be doing and not just describing things that we do. Now, um, obviously there's a distinction in the passages. There are many that are descriptive that say lots of things that we ought not to be doing. Like, you know, there's lots of descriptive passages about David, who was a good king, although he had lots of wives. That doesn't mean that I should go out and start marrying a whole bunch of women. Um, obviously, that would go for well, anyways. But, <laughs> uh, but, but, I mean, it's not prescriptive of that. But what it is prescriptive of, when it's talking about the goodness of David, is it is prescriptive that even when he made mistakes, whether he was doing good or doing evil, his heart was continually turned towards the Lord. That's what made him a good king. It wasn't that he had lots of wives. So that's a descriptive. What we're talking about here is it's prescribing, in a lot of these passages, is things that men should be doing and things that women should be doing. And the difficult thing, I think, for us as Americans, particularly, is that there's such a separation, that the family has been degenerated to a point where there's such a separation between men and women, that we think about these roles just the same way we wrote them out on the page. Men's roles women's roles. You could tear the page in half and you'd have two pieces of paper. But the way that God displays it in the scripture, that's not the way it fits. It actually fits as a piece. Like, you know the old song, Ebony and Ivory? You know, the, the black and white? How can the black and white <laughs> how can the black and white keys on the piano uh, you know, how can they fit together and why can't white and black people fit together? 
Well, the point is that they're all keys. They just look different, and they have different functions. I mean, what the the black are half notes, aren't they? On the keyboard, is that right? Yes. yes. So, I mean, they have they're different notes, sort of, but they're all playing music, and they're all fitting together. It's the same thing with the roles of men and women. They are inextricably combined, so that in in First uh, Corinthians 11, when it talks about head coverings, and I kind of wrestle back and forth whether to get into that. I thought we might get bogged down in some of the other difficult parts of the passage, uh, so I left that one out. But it talks specifically about how the man is the head of a wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And in the same way, they're still stuck together, and it says so that there's a clear, it's probably the clearest distinction between headship. But at the same time, it says that Men do not exist apart from women because they're born of woman. And at the same time, woman was taken from man. So there's this interconnection. Now having said that, uh, I think that there are some significant differences in roles. So what, what do we hear over and over and what is the pattern? Men are to submit to Christ and to lead. I think these are the patterns that we're seeing. I think the real interesting thing, the passage they had where um, the father, you know, where Isaac is is um, blessing Jacob. I threw that one in there. It's kind of a curveball, but I threw that one in there specifically because with the patriarchs, you actually see that God is pouring out his power through the blessings of the father. Now, if I say, uh, you know, if I bless Asa at night and say, you know, I hope that you'll have a million dollars tomorrow and, and stuff. It's not going to actually happen. But the fathers, when they would give their blessings in the Old Testament, that was the trajectory that God was moving them. Now, obviously, the Lord was using his providence to make those things happen. And the fathers were saying what he wanted, what God wanted them to say. But it actually came true. You know, I don't think about my words as actually coming true when I get up in the morning and I say, I'm going to have a great day. I don't necessarily think that that's always going to be specifically the case. Um, but this, it's very distinct that the men were to submit to Christ, but then also that they were to lead. And even lead in, in the Old Testament, you see them leading with power, and then it's actually shaping their the outside surrounding things as they, as they meet their families. And then women are to submit to their husband and support. Now, everybody is submitting. So... As the roles of men and women are, are completely intertwined, the man submits to Christ and the woman submits to her husband. And then the man is to lead as the woman is to support. Uh, and I use that instead of, I, I'm breaking apart supporting and submitting because I think that one of the things that uh, the ladies discovered and probably what you heard in some of what they said is that the Bible does not call women not to be industrious. And by that I mean to you know, use industry to be producing good things. What it does call women to do is it does call them to do that in a way that is supportive of the ministry of their family. And it's a conjunction with their husbands. And that, I think that plays out um, in the way that we see elders and deacons fit together. Um, obviously, you would never say that a deacon is less spiritual than an elder. I've known many, honestly, sometimes that are more spiritual 
but they're gifting, gifts them for service in ways that sometimes the elders are not gifted for service. And so the roles, I'm sorry, Jeff. So the roles are, are, are put together in such a way that the deacons are performing service as the elders are performing service, and the two of them fit together in such a way that the elders are able to more fully perform the service that they're performing for the church, and the deacons are able to more fully perform the service that they're performing for the church. And that is what we see displayed in the family. So that um, when I say I'm leading and I'm uh, laying out sort of a pattern for what we're going to do, what our family's going to do in the future, that can be abused and is abused in so many ways. I could say, well, here's what I want our family to do. I'm going to lay it out and then give it to Allison to do it while I'm gone at work. Uh, I just, I'm sorry, that was inside jokes, but, uh, uh, <laughs> not laughing. <laughs> yeah. um, but the reality is what I do is I lead by laying out patterns of how we should be functioning as a family. I lead by, um, setting up times for family worship. I lead for setting up times for our family to spend time just us away from other people. Um, because what that does is that frees her to do other things that she needs to be doing. I don't want her, we homeschool, and I don't want her to, to stop homeschooling or to stop discipline or to stop some other character development or to do the things that I'm not able to do because I'm at work in terms of like maybe caring for some of the household needs or something. I don't want her to have to carve out a time where she has to sit down and actually administrate what we're doing in the future. And so I am carrying the burden of doing that. And in the same way, she is carrying the burden of those things that I'm not there during the day to be able to do. So they fit together. And obviously there's a, there can be abuse on either side. Um, in the same way, <laughs> the calling of a woman to do supportive ministries is not a way for me to say, I like the administrative part. So here, I'm going to, okay, we've got 20 things we need to do. The top one is um, laying out what we should do for the future and laying out, you know, kind of what I want to teach in family worship. I like those. So the other 18, I'm going to give to Allison. Obviously, that's not the way it functions either. Part of leadership is that, that you're, you, I carry the burden of making sure that her burden is also not greater than mine. I carry the burden of, of standing up front. Um, I kind of toyed back and forth whether to use this illustration, but I'm going to go ahead and use it. I think we're all pretty sure. Uh, there's a movie, 300. Have you guys, how many of you guys have seen it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's incredibly violent, and I don't necessarily recommend it um, at all, really. I, I wouldn't recommend anybody necessarily watch it. There were times when I was like, ah, maybe we should turn it off. It's incredibly violent. But one thing you see very clearly from the from the very beginning, and that's part of what intrigued me because it's historically accurate, is that uh, Leonidas, is how you say his name? The king, from his birth, he is set apart by his father, and they continually wrestle and fight with swords. I mean, even at like Ace's age, they're fighting and, and training for combat, training in how you think about the enemy, training and strategy and stuff like that, so that when he becomes the king... And the king in these societies ruled over, not the people, but ruled over actually the military. There were other group of people that ruled over the people. They didn't actually have legislative functions. So 
But in every battle, the interesting thing is, when he goes to leave, all the little council comes out and says, where are you going with the army? And he says, well, we figured we would just go for a walk. And they can't really say anything because he is the first among all of the among all the soldiers. He's and so, but he's been trained to do that. So immediately he walks to the front of the line. They follow behind him. They get to battle. The really interesting thing is, you would think that typically the way we think about battle is, you get to the battle and the general's like, "I'm important," you know, like you see these old Civil War battles, and the general's up on the thing and he's looking through a telescope and he's like. I can almost see who those people are out on the front lines. That's not the case. They line up. Leonidas stands out front, like 20 or 30 feet in front of his men. He's got just a sword and a spear. And he's got a sword, a spear, and a shield. And so they're shooting arrows and stuff, and they're dumping under their shields. And every time, he's right in front. And when the first wave comes up, I mean, they're probably like as far from him as from to that pole. And he kind of shuffles back in so they form one line. But he's not really that concerned about it. And there's a couple of battles where he's just out there. He's out there by himself fighting, and everybody else is standing on about 10 feet behind him. Um, and I, I, I don't want to overstress this, but I think that's the picture of a husband's role. That as you're leading, you're leading into battle. You're leading in such a way that you are bearing the brunt and bearing the weight of the responsibilities yourself. So that there's extra weight to carry. That it falls on you. If someone's going to die in my home, I'm hoping that it will me die, that I will die under the burden of whatever I'm bearing, rather than her. I mean, I'm there to protect her. So I think that that's, that's maybe a visual of how those two things fit together. Um, is that clear as mud? Does that make sense? Um, so I want to be careful. It's difficult for us to think clearly and biblically, and that's part of the reason why this is so important, about how these roles fit together. So, um, why is it so hard? Uh, and let me read a second. Well, you can turn there. Don't open your Bibles. Um, if you'll turn with me to Genesis 3, verse 16. The reason why it's so difficult for us to think about this in our culture, and really in any culture rightly, is because of the fall. Because a particular part of the curse has changed the way that we function and the way that our brains work. Um, We prayed earlier, I don't know if I prayed this in my prayer, but uh, one of the things that is very obvious to me that, that wasn't so obvious when I first became a believer is that it's not only my heart that leads me astray. My mind is corrupted so that I am unable to think clearly about the way that things are. And so that it is the renewing of our minds and not just the renewing of our hearts. Because we are unable to function. We don't function like a computer. Like, you know, if you plug in Jesus, now we have power, we work rightly. No, even our minds are corrupted. And it's because of the fall here in 3.16. And to the woman he said, this is God's curse upon the woman, Surely I will multiply your pain in childbearing. And I'm sure that all the women in here who have had children can testify that that's still in place. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. It can be translated, your desire shall be against your husband. Um, it, it, 
really has the connotation of your desire shall be sort of for his place, his role. And he shall rule over you. And so, we have these role distinctions before the fall, but at the fall, with this curse, then you see that the woman will desire to take over in the areas that the, that men are weak in leadership. And men will desire to have a heavy hand to make sure that they are submissive. And that's why it is so difficult for us to think about these things. And so we want to display at Redeemer um, a practice in the church that should be reflective in our homes. And so how does this bleed out? How, how did, what does it look like for every man at Redeemer to be growing in an understanding, in a practice of leadership? And how do, what does it look like for every woman to be growing in an understanding and a practice of supportive type ministry where when we think of leadership, we think of the top, the very top. But I would say that every man has a role to lead. Every man should be leading in some way. And we also think of a supportive as the bottom, the janitor. But I would say that in Proverbs, we have a clear picture of an industrious woman being clearly the clearest picture in Scripture of a truly blessed woman. So how does that play out? Um, male leadership is by design and not by chance. So Redeemer is encouraging male leadership by doing several things. And these are things that the elders have sort of laid out that we're putting in place as time goes on. The first one is practicing the biblical pattern of male elders. Uh, the Scripture is very clear that that highest echelon, there shouldn't be one man who is like a single guy by himself. But in terms of protecting the flock, caring for the flock, laying out the pattern of how we should move forward, it should be done by male elders. Um, a second way that we are encouraging male leadership is by teaching and providing resources to help equip men to lead spiritually in the home. And by that, I mean all men. All men, whether you're single, you're married, whether you're young or old, it doesn't make any difference. All men um, should be being spiritually engaged through life transformation groups because those groups will be gender-specific. So not only am I stating these things to you guys, but I'm expecting that you will actually run with them and use this as the elders' admonition to you to hold each other accountable. So that um, the men that are in life transformation groups together should be encouraging each other to learn uh, to, to lead spiritually in the home. Uh, we'll do further teaching on courtship and marriage. What does it look like to enter into these relationships in a covenantal way, these displays of marriage, these displays of courtship, and how does that play out? Um, the ABCs of family worship, uh, essentially, for any of you guys who are not practicing family worship, whether you are living by yourself because you're single or whether you have a family, you should most likely be reading the word, praying, and singing. If you're wondering how do I move forward, read the word. Pray and sing and try and do it as regularly as you can. Set up a pattern to do those things. It's very 
rel I mean, I said very simple. It's very simple to do and to think about. It's very difficult to make time to actually do it. Uh, printed catechism. We've already given out a bunch of the printed catechism so that we have a printed catechism and Bible memory to be encouraging you guys, to be equipping you to lead. Um, we're, we're encouraging male leadership by creating opportunities for men to teach and lead in the congregation, by having men uh, lead the teaching for the children and the community groups as well as in the community groups themselves so that the primary leaders of the community groups will be men. Unless you have a community group that's all women, obviously, that would not be the case. Um, but then also, as we are building our children's ministry, the primary teaching for children is going to be happening at the community groups. So uh, the children, the elders, as we envision it now, now this may change, but as we envision it now, couples will rotate out from the community group to be teaching the children as time goes on. And as they're rotating out, the, the, the goal of that is so that the fathers will be leading that, that time with teaching the children. So that they are seeing and getting more practice in teaching children theological issues and in leading in that way. And so that they also have a clearer picture of how to lead their wives in terms of leading. I mean, there's some administrative things there, too. You have to figure out. You know, I mean, I'm not just going to go up and teach like I am now. I also just sit there. I mean, you know, how do we help? You know, how does, how does your wife help and how do you lead her helping? And then elders um, are choosing men from the congregation. You know, we're regularly choosing guys to pray. Um, you know, we've had uh, several of the guys help us with the ordinances, and we've talked many times about, you know, future preaching slots that um, guys could preach. Um, Redeemer encourages female support by teaching and providing resources for women uh, to support their homes. And again, I say all women, whether married or single. Um, so that, to, I guess, to, to couple this back with single men in terms of leading spiritually in your home, the single man needs to be leading himself and spending time to worship the Lord, even if there's nobody there. I mean, even if it's two guys... If you have a roommate or something, and it's two guys, maybe you should swap off who does the leading that night. But actually having a time when you're doing worship at home. And then for women, the same thing. Um, you should be seeking to display those things that you've found in Proverbs 31 with other people. And one of the ways we want to help to do that, seeking to provide authentic example to follow as... The men follow Jesus, so should the women follow them. I mean, it kind of goes back to what Chet said earlier. I mean, there are ways in which we would lead that would be wrong. But in as much, like Paul says, in as much as you see the men in the church following Christ, you should follow their example. Um, encouraging and equipping female leaders, part of being industrious means that women have specific needs that uh, men cannot fully understand. Now, Jesus can fully understand it. But I can't. And so part of what the elders want to do is raise up female leaders so that in life transformation groups and community groups and a meeting with girls on campus, um, you know, I wanted to weep when I was walking over here. I ran over to get Asa something to drink from the car. And in the time I was walking over there, I saw three women who were being returned to their homes with guys who had held them there last night. Obviously not against their will, but um, who had kept them overnight at their, wherever they were. 
They were out together. They weren't just out at somebody's house because the women were all cleaned and showered and were ready for their day. They had spent the night, three guys, I and mean, then I'm talking from here to over there, and I wanted to just weep. Um, so in thinking, in Redeemer's thinking about connecting to the, the, the school, one of the things that elders want to do is, is raise up female leaders that can go onto the campus and speak to these young girls. If I go over there and stop, if I stop, I saw a guy pull up on a motorcycle and drop off his girlfriend. If I had gone over and confronted his girlfriend, he might have pulled out a knife and killed me. Who in the world am I? But, but I mean, there are ways that you girls can engage with women on campus that they're never going to hear a man, and they shouldn't hear a man to speak to their heart in that way, in, in some cases, in most cases. I don't need to be having discussions with a woman, a young woman, about um, you know her interactions with a young man. Uh, so, anyways, I mean, we can talk about that for a while, but... We're seeking to create a culture providing undistracted opportunities for women to meet. You know, one of the things that the elders, each time we're all here, we're trying to create opportunities where um, the first time, first or second time we came, and we'd intentionally created a time where the guys had all the kids and the girls could go and hang out at Jim and Judy's house. I mean, that's not just something that just happened. That's something that we're trying to think about as elders. How do we make that happen more often? Maybe not once a month, but on a relatively regular basis. How do we free up uh, times, and part of that goes back to leading in the home where you know, each, each of us that, that do have wives and kids need to be thinking, how do I structure our family and my time in such a way as that this week, if Friday I know that Allison's going to spend time with the girls at Judy and Jim's and we're keeping the kids, how do I make sure that I have everything that I need to get done by that time so that she can go and do it? Um, Another way that we're seeking to lead is by creating opportunities for women to support the congregation, the community groups, children's helpers. We talked about what does it look like for um, the, in the community groups with the kids. What does it look like if they if there's a ton of kids in one particular community group to bring in somebody that might be willing to offer their services to help with that? We don't want them teaching because then that takes the part away from that teaching rotation I was talking about earlier. So we were thinking about um, uh, women, and it doesn't have to just be women, but this is a great opportunity. I would encourage the women. Um, this is a great opportunity for you to be growing in serving and supporting by coming and being an extra hand alongside of whoever happens to be teaching that week and making that type of commitment. Um, encourage planned care for those in difficult circumstances. Uh, one of the things that we would like to see happen in the future is the elders want to continue to encourage women to be seeking to uh, provide meals, provide support for people in difficult circumstances like somebody uh, has a baby, somebody uh, is sick, you know, especially, especially difficult circumstances for another woman. Because if Allison goes down, there are certain functions in our home that don't happen as well when I'm doing them. <laughs> like cooking and cleaning. And now what I'm not saying is that the women of the church should automatically become a cooking and cleaning service. But what I am saying is, if a, if a woman in the congregation goes down, we need to be thinking about how can we proactively be serving them um, so that, you know, I, I can cook a couple of things, but after a few nights... You know, the kids don't need to eat pizza every night. Uh, you know, so, I mean, there is some limitation. I want them to have some breath and things that they're eating so that they don't 
diet malnutrition. Um, and then uh, in-home mentoring, one of the, and I'm going to pick on Kayla for just a second. One of the things with Kayla moving in to live with the Daniels for a long period of time, it, it prompted us to think more quickly, more clearly about what does it look like to have male or female people coming in and living with one of the elders and providing sort of a, a, a mini internship type thing. Um, I mean, we want to be actively seeking to allow uh, women to see what other women are doing in their homes. And obviously, you know, I mean, I'm not creating these opportunities, but the elders are encouraging the congregation to make ways to do this. So these are essentially um, the ways that we want to encourage these two things in terms of structure. Now that's real basic. I mean, we could probably spend a whole time on each one of those. Um, and then let me just, I think, I'm sure we're, we're way long at this point. Uh, let me uh, talk quickly about oops, some of the ways that, um, that we want to encourage families specifically in terms of not just husbands and wives and not just you know, individuals in a family, but families as a whole. Uh, Redeemer wants to stress, you know, wants to to stress families, but not have families stressed out. That's kind of uh, should be apparent. But Redeemer stresses family by not over engaging the family. We've we've thought very specifically about how many times we want families to feel like they need to meet during the week, and we're continually working on that. Every time we talk, we're like, is this going to cause one more issue? Just in terms of one more day in the week that we're committing people, not over engaging the family. Um, limiting the separation of ages as much as possible. Younger kids, we want them all to be together. And older kids will probably, you know, mid to late teens are going to be with the adults in the community groups. So that, that families are grouped in large sections together. We do not want to break out by demographics. Um, seeking to create more porous activities that allow freedom for families, picnics and parks. It was pretty apropos that right, you know, not long after I did this, I got an email from Jim saying, hey, we're all going to meet in a park. And I was like, yes, awesome, a great display of what we've been talking about. Opening our homes, so we're doing lots of cookouts and stuff. This is not just because it's a small group and we all like each other, and then when it gets bigger and there's a lot more people involved, and we're not going to do these things anymore. We're proactively trying to do these things so that uh, to create activities so that it's easier for people to come in and go out and to meet together in such a way that, that if you're not held, like right now you're held. If I just talked all afternoon, most of you socially would feel compelled to just sit there and listen or go to sleep. Um, but if you're at a park, that's not the case. It's just giving me the eye like, no, no, he's leaving. <laughs> uh, and then encouraging the congregation to act as a family. Um, that goes back to some of those things. I think that we need to be actively thinking about how do we act as brothers? How do men act as brothers to other men and as brothers to other women in the congregation? I mean, I know the kind of things I would offer to my sister if she lived with us, if she lived in the area. We should be thinking about those types of things should come naturally to us in terms of engaging each other. And then on the flip side, with women. So does anybody have any questions about any of those things? Um, there were a lot of them, so I didn't, I didn't want to lay out a whole lot of specific details at this time. We're going to do, like with some of the teaching and stuff, 
for the small groups, we're going to do some specific training that will cover some of that. Uh, does anybody have any specific questions? Everybody's just ready for lunch. <laughs> okay, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us your word to display the patterns of life. Not only that exist, that you have described these things that exist and allowed us to see evil in the Bible as well as good, but that you have also prescribed what a full and pure and beautiful display of the gospel as it's played out in the church and as it's played out in families with the roles of men and women. Um, we thank you that you have given us the word for that and we thank you, Lord, I thank you, that this one time that we talk about it is not the end of that word, that we do not close those passages, but that we begin to open them afresh day in and day out to think about how can we do this. I thank you that the, the elders and I do not have to rely upon a one-shot opportunity to think and teach about these things, but that you are actively working in the hearts of those at Redeemer to understand and to try and practice a display of your glory as it plays out in families and relationships between men and women and relationships between the members of the body, and we pray that in all of these things, that we would not only properly display what you would have us to display, Lord, but that we, in displaying that, would do it in such a way that it would draw us closer to Christ and really realize how truly dependent we are upon his sacrifice in order to understand and to do these things and how this should be a physical picture, just as baptism is a physical image of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf, that this, as we display properly families in the congregation, that we would see truly a reflection of the way that you have saved us and have united with us as a church. Lord, we pray that these things would be edifying to us as we continue. And we praise you for your grace to us this morning. I thank you um, for assisting me in teaching. And I pray these things in Christ's name.